Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor and it's a joy to be with you all today. If you're joining us on our live stream, I want to say a special word of welcome. Thank you for making us a part of your morning routine or really maybe if you're watching this later, wherever you are. I hope that today that you, you experience what we want you to experience, a sense of belonging and hope through a life renewed by Jesus Christ and deeply committed to other people. That's what we're about here at Kern Church, and that's my hope for you, regardless of how you're joining us in worship this day. Well, let me offer a word of prayer for, for you all this morning as we go to God in worship. Loving, loving one, I thank you this day for, for your grace, for your love. I pray that as your church worships you, that your spirit is blessed, that your spirit is filled with with the goodness that your people desire. Open the hearts of each one who's worshiping you today. May you spill goodness into their hearts and their lives as well. Amen. Yesterday at, at Kern Church, we had our, our one-day VBS day camp, and it was a, it was a great day, and I, and I asked Shanda, our children's director, uh, to come come up and to share a little bit about the celebration that, that uh, took place here yesterday. So some of you were here yesterday. It was a very fun field day. As you all know, I absolutely love the days that we have children running around the church doing all kinds of things, learning about Jesus. And yesterday was one of those fun field days. We had 17 kids that were in attendance yesterday. And we actually had about 36 that were signed up. We had many, many, many volunteers, and as you know, if you have ever been a part of a VBS, it takes lots of helping hands to make that a successful day, and I just want to say thank you to everyone again who helped be a part of that and make a difference in the lives of the children. We had lots of fun things going on all day. We had three different groups of kids, and we did crafts down in the fellowship hall. Uh, Marsha was a fabulous storyteller and taught three different stories from the Bible to the children. If you have ever worked with kids, especially younger kids, you know that most of the time you think that they are not listening, but when you least expect it, they will repeat something back to you that they have heard from a story. And that is what touches my heart, is to see when those things happen. We played games outside. We played games in the gym. We had amazing food from Janet and Lyman, who grilled um, and made their famous homemade mac and cheese. So if you were not here, you missed out. <laughs> um, but anyways, it was a great day, and I'm so thankful that it was beautiful weather, and uh, we had bounce houses, and the kids had a great time. It was just lots of laughter all day long, and just watching all the kids run around and all the volunteers who helped with that. I'm so grateful. Thank you again, and we have lots of family activities that we are planning throughout the summer, so be on the lookout, and I hope you will join us. So thank you all. Thanks, Shanda. I want to celebrate one more thing with you, Kern Church, as it relates to Vacation Bible School. Um, we, we had uh, one of the, the perks of, of, of having kind of a smaller group is that we had some really close connections that were built. And at the end, as parents were picking up their kids and staying to celebrate with a, our cookout, uh, one, of the, one of the kids came up to their, their parents and said, can we come back to church here? I want to start coming to church here. 
And the thing that touched me about this is that this child has been to Kern Church uh, for, for other camps that we have done, but, but this young person felt so compelled and so loved by this faith community that, that, that this was a home for them. Even though it's not their main home, this was a home for this young person. And I want you to know that I am proud to be the pastor of a church that provides space and creates space for, for the young people amongst us to belong. And that's what it's all about, to find belonging in a life renewed by Jesus. And this young person experienced that and shared with their, with their mom and their dad about that same thing. And that is something to celebrate. If you want to continue to support ministry like this, you can always do so by giving to Kern Church online at kernchurch.org. And in just a few moments, we're going to pass offering baskets around and, and you can give your morning tithes and offerings. And if you want to help support ministry like Vacation Bible School and the other children's children events that we're working on uh, for, for the summer and for the fall, you can always give there by, by uh, making an, an extra special gift there and just writing kids in the, in the memo line of, of your check or indicating so online. That way we can continue to, to support really ministry like this that, that helps young people belong and find that hope in a life renewed by Jesus. I want to pray right now as, uh, as we continue to worship God. Lord, thank you so much for your gifts to us. Thank you for the lives that are transformed through the work of your church. Sometimes things go unnoticed by, by people, but you notice, oh God. You notice the work that is done, the lives that are touched. And I pray blessings upon each one who experienced your love yesterday. Thank you for these gifts that we bring before you today. May you use them, O oh God. May you also bless those who give. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, today, uh, as I was getting ready for church, I was also getting ready for something else. It's kind of a big day for me that no one else really cares about. Uh, but I am... Um, I'm traveling after church to go to annual conference, which I'm from Chattanooga, and that was, that was like a long haul. And I'm realizing that we're going to, to North Carolina, right around Waynesville, this place called uh, Lake Junaluska, and, and it used to be like a four-hour drive for me to get there. Now I just keep moving closer and closer to Lake Junaluska, and, 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 and it's like two hours away. So I get there in two hours, it's kind of a leisurely day. Uh, but but uh, this morning, you know, I've already been inspired by our worship and, and experience here and encouraged and then in just a few, a few hours, I'll get in my truck and drive to, to North Carolina for annual conference. And, and since Kern Church is a United Methodist church, and, and I am a United Methodist pastor, we're part of a conference known as the Holston Conference. And every year, our conference gets together at what we call annual conference. Now, that's a really original name, I know. Uh, it has a meeting that happens once a year, uh, and so we call it annual conference. Our, our, our Holston Conference, though, is basically a geographic area uh, of, of churches that go from East Tennessee to southwestern Virginia and dips down just a little bit into Georgia. And, uh, and, and each year, all the pastors and many of, of the lay members get together for this annual conference. So today, I will be going, and also Priscilla Spitzer is, is our uh, a Kern lay member who will, who will be at this conference as well. 
At an annual conference, you may be wondering, like, what do we do? And maybe you're wondering not at all about what we do. But we, we get together for inspiring worship and, and set the missional priorities for the year. One of those examples is like over the past few weeks, we've been, we've been talking about these mission buckets, these food buckets that, that many of you brought in food and helped to prepare. And uh, one of the things that we do at annual conference is we set our missional priorities for things like these food buckets that we're sending to Zimbabwe. And Kern Church, through your efforts and, and work, we were able to, to assemble about 40 of these buckets that are, now, uh, that are now making their way to a port to be able to be shipped to Zimbabwe. So this is the type of stuff that we do. And for me, annual conference is always kind of a reunion because I get to connect with colleagues that are really all over the geographic area that we cover that I don't get to, to see all that often. But one of the business things that happens at annual conference is that we approve those who will become new pastors. In fact, tonight we're going to have an ordination service where our, our new pastors that are coming in uh, will be ordained before they are sent out in mission and ministry. And, and one of the things that also happens is not only do we approve new pastors, but we also, um, also have to make sure that our current pastors are at least, you know, okay. Like, like people are, you know, people are continuing to look at folks that are, that are working in ministry and, and, are, and dealing with any issues that come up. Specifically, each year about the pastors, one question that is, is always asked is, are the members of this conference, which is just short for pastors, are the members of this conference blameless in their life and official administration? So that's the standard that the pastors are, are held to, and it's always asked by our, super, by our bishop, you know, are all the pastors blameless? And... Um, it's a public question, okay? And, and, and this public question, though, really summarizes the work that's done in supervision over the course of the full year behind the scenes. But I've always been curious about this question. Are all the pastors blameless in their life and in their work? And except for the reports that have already been made of, of those that aren't so blameless, the expected answer is yes. So I get to come home in just a few days and, and let my family know that I am blameless, that it has been recertified that I am blameless. And I bet the rest of you would like that. I mean, you would really like to be able to just have this verification on the official record that, that you are blameless. And if anyone ever thinks I am to blame, I can just remind them, perhaps you, no, I, I couldn't be to blame. I am blameless. Now, while I fall short in many areas of life, this call, this call about being blameless is a reminder that integrity matters. That, that, that integrity really does matter. The character of, of someone, especially someone in leadership, matters. This is especially important for leaders who have influence over others. And when integrity isn't held up, things begin to break down. I mean, last week I was, I was reading a, a, an article uh, that, was, that was talking about clergy in Illinois. And over the course of the last 90 years in Illinois alone, 450 Catholic clergy were reported to abused over 2,000 children. 
I mean, this is terrible. And, and if you're like, well, we're not Catholic, it doesn't matter. It does matter because it's not just something that's, that's part of the Catholic, it's been in the Catholic background. You know, we have to protect children. We have to protect kids from adults who have done harm in the past and who might do harm again. And the church should be the safest place for children, for adults. But too often, you and I hear stories. Maybe you have your own stories of breaches of trust where abuse has happened. Now, while the question of all the pastors being blameless provides, I mean, it provides a bit of a chuckle for me, it's also a serious question to help prevent harm from happening. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is that these days, it's not just a question that is asked, but starting this year, all pastors in in the conference must be what we call safe gathering certified. And this is an external organization that we're partnering with that, that goes through background checks, reference checks, and child abuse prevention training. So this is stuff that has to be recertified instead of just like when you apply, you, you get a background check. No, you have to ha- maintain a, a, a current background check, current reference check, and you have to maintain training on, on uh, abuse training. And this is something that is now a requirement for all the pastors in our conference. And in fact, we were told, um, you know, if you expect to be employed next year, you will be safe gathering certified. This means that all of our pastors must go through these regular background checks and reference checks and child abuse prevention training and to keep it up to date. Here at Kern Church, this is the same process we are implementing for our, our volunteers, especially those working with young people, to ensure that we, have, we are providing a standard of care that, that makes sure that we and all those who work and are dedicated to ministry are above reproach. You know, things like integrity and character, they matter. When, and when, when integrity is breached and when someone's character is shown to be broken, trust just breaks down. Trust just begins to disintegrate. And, and that's one of, it's not just a, a church thing. I mean, this is one of the problems in our political system right now. Too often, people are more interested in, in, in their ideological candidate being elected than in the integrity and the character of the candidate. You and I are forced to make, on regular occasions, bargains that we shouldn't be forced to make between a point of view that that we like or a point of view that represents your point of view and someone who may have true integrity. And when we participate in this, or, I mean, let's be honest, we're really forced to participate in this, trust in our society erodes even further. In a recent book about trust, the author uh, Henry Cloud writes that trust is the fuel for all of life. Trust is the fuel for all of life. And the problem is that when you witness the erosion of trust in society and in your own life, you can't really live a full life. And and if if you've ever been in a marriage that has suffered a breach of trust, you know this, right? You know this. If you've ever been in a marriage that suffered through infidelity or or lying or, or some other type of breach of trust, you know this very well. That when, when trust breaks down, you can't live a full life. 
Because when you're facing a a breach of trust in your marriage, for example, everything on on the outside just kind of grinds to a halt. Like you, You can't live a full life because you're consumed with worrying about this breach of trust and what to do with it. So much of your life's energy and emotion is forced to deal with this breach of trust. Or or maybe, you've not seen this in your marriage, but maybe you've suffered this uh, breach of trust with a child. Maybe maybe a a child has has stolen from you because of the way drugs or or substance misuse has taken over their body or their mind. And and, and the harm that this does to the relationship, I mean, it's, it's severe. And it sucks so much out of just trying to live life on a daily basis. And this is what we're talking about today. This, this is what we're talking about today, what to do when, when trust begins to break down. You see, we're in our second week of our new message series called Unlocking the Power of Trust. And if you were with us last week, we, we talked about how, how trust really begins with God because God trusted you, God trusted humanity. And if you weren't with us, no worries, because today we're, we're looking at some steps. We're just beginning to look at the first steps of, of what you can do to unlock the power of trust in your life. And I want you to know that, that um, I've been influenced somewhat in this message series by, by this guy named Kerry Newhoff, who, who runs a leadership network that I'm a part of. And in and, and and, and thinking about this and in, and in working with some others, realizing that the first step to unlocking, unlocking the power of trust is realizing that, that trust begins in your heart. And that's, that's the, 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 the sermon title today, Trust Begins in Your Heart. Trust begins with integrity. Trust is, is, is something that, that God knows about, and God knows that for you to be a person that is trustworthy, trust must begin in the heart. You see, when the church was being, was being formed with, by those who, who shared the love of Jesus and they went out into the world, God knew that the church needed to be a trustworthy organization. It not just a place like every other human institution, but the church needed to be a place where people could connect with God and in a trusting way. And so when, when the leaders of the church went out to share the, the mission of God through the church, they wanted to ensure that trust was at the center of everything. That trust was foremost in everything they did. That trust was the thing that, that you could almost take for granted, right? Because it was uh, uh, assumed. You know, they knew that God was trustworthy, that they had trusted everything with God, and that God was trustworthy, and that the leaders of the church wanted to ensure that, that if God was trustworthy, the church would be trustworthy too. So right now I'm going to spend just a, a few moments digging into how important integrity and the heart is when we read the Bible, especially when we read the Bible uh, that was written around the time of the early church. So to do this, I want to share with you a letter called Titus. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, I'm looking at this small letter called Titus. And in this letter, one of the main church leaders, a guy by the name of Paul, is writing to a younger church leader about the importance of trust and integrity And in this letter, Paul highlights this first step of unlocking the power of trust, deep personal integrity. Here's what what Paul says in his writing in in this letter called Titus. He says, Paul, from Paul, 
is uh, chapter 1, verse 1. From Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, I, I'm sent to bring about the faith of God's chosen people and to acknowledge the truth that agrees with godliness. Then down in verse 4, we read to who this is written. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So here we read that Paul is writing the letter and that Paul is a senior leader in the Christian movement at this time. And he is writing to someone known as Titus. And this Titus is someone that, that Paul labels as a true child of a common faith. So Paul is appealing to what he and Titus have in common. He's appealing to, to their shared sense of integrity, their shared sense of, of common faith, of what they have in common, and reminding Titus of their relationship together. Then Paul goes on to write about the importance of deep personal integrity, especially for those in leadership within the church. In verse 5, he writes this, The reason I left you, to Titus, the reason I left you behind in Crete was to organize whatever needs to be done and to appoint elders in each city as I told you. So Paul tells Titus that, that I left you behind so that you could do some work and to appoint elders. Now, here Paul uses some language that, that I want to point out is still used today. Paul talks about appointing elders to each city. Now, when you think about elders, you probably think about old people, people that are your elders, like people that are older than you. But this term elder, when used as it relates to leadership in the church, is, 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 a, is a term used to identify those who serve as pastors. Other translations talk about ordaining these elders. Paul writes in this translation about appointing these error, er, errors, right? Um, hopefully not errors, uh, but, but appointing these elders. And so, so uh, other translations talk about ordaining, not appointing the, the elders. And ordaining, it's this right in the church. You've, you've heard about it before, likely. But ordaining is this right in the church where we set aside certain people, pastors, for leadership. And this same language is, is used today. For example, I am an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. Elder was the word that Paul used, and ordaining is the same practice that set me aside for ministry. And all that is just church words to say, I'm a pastor. So there you go. The language that we use today, though, it links straight back to what Paul was writing in this letter. And then in verse, four, or verse 6, Paul continues to write about the requirements for integrity for those that, for those that lead. So he's saying, you know, I, I left you there so that you could ordain or, or appoint people that are going to be pastors. And then he starts to write about the requirements of those pastors in verse 6. And he says, elders should be without fault. Now, remember what I was saying uh, about that question that is asked of the pastors at annual conference uh, of if we are blameless? This is where it comes from. Other translations and many older translations say blameless instead of without fault. It's basically the same thing. And so when we're questioning of if pastors are blameless, it comes straight from, from what Paul says. And so not only do, does, do our names for pastors as elders come from the Bible, but the requirements for integrity for our spiritual leaders also come from the Bible as well. And then he goes on to write about the qualities that should not be found in a person of deep integrity. So he, he's going to lay out, these are the things that if you want to be blameless, you cannot do, right? 
And, and, and it's always nice to be told what you can't do. And that's what he's going to do in, in, in verse 6. They should be faithful to their spouse and have faithful children who can't be accused of self-indulgence or rebelliousness. This is because supervisors should be without fault as God's managers. They shouldn't be stubborn, irritable, addicted to alcohol, a bully, or greedy. So I guess it's, uh, I feel bad that like the pastor's family is included in this, um, but I guess it's assumed that at the time that if you, that if you couldn't promote a spirit of love and unity within your family, you probably couldn't do this in the church as well. So Paul highlights this piece about the importance of your family, and then he again reiterates about how people, uh, about how deep personal integrity is important, that people with deep personal integrity who are leaders in the church should be without fault or should be blameless. That they shouldn't be stubborn, irritable, addicted to alcohol, a bully, or greedy. Okay, these are the things you can't do or you shouldn't do. Then he goes on to write about the qualities that are found in, in a person with deep personal integrity. So that was the first one was like what, what's not supposed to be there, and the second part is what is supposed to be there. Instead, he writes... In verse 8, they should show hospitality, love what is good, be reasonable, ethical, godly, and self-controlled. They must pay attention to the reliable message as it has been taught to them so that they can encourage people with healthy instruction and refute those who speak against it. So if you have deep personal integrity, you will manifest this in outward behavior. It's not just an internal thing. It's also outward behavior. You will have a heart for others. You will love what is good. You, you will be reasonable and ethical and godly and self-controlled. And then, especially for those that are leading churches, Paul says you should know enough. So it's not just that you have to be a good person. Paul says for those leading churches, you should know enough about the love of God, that you can encourage people in the ways of God and be on the lookout for religious leaders who are not this way. So you be on the lookout for religious leaders that are dangerous. So while Paul is writing about the qualifications of elders or pastors, what Paul is really describing is what it takes to be a person of deep personal integrity. Of deep personal integrity. And this is not the only time that Paul would write to, to somebody younger, to a younger leader, and, and encourage them with this message. In another passage, Paul is writing to a, to a guy named Timothy, who was another young leader. Do you want to stand up with me? All right. Hugs are good. Especially hugs from your three-year-old are good. Um, and, and so in another passage, Paul is saying the same thing as encouraging another young leader, a guy by the name of Timothy. And, and in this one, he's, he's warning Timothy about leaders who have the wrong motives and how important it is for trust to begin in the heart. And this is just a really short passage, but Paul is writing to Timothy in another letter saying, when I left for Macedonia, I invited you to stay behind in Ephesus so that you could instruct certain individuals not to spread wrong teaching. They shouldn't pay attention to myths and endless genealogy. Their teaching only causes useless guessing games instead of faithfulness to God's way of doing things. Then he writes, The goal of instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
Paul here is, is pointing out that people will get it wrong. Paul knew that knew, Paul knew what you know, that, that some in leadership are in leadership for the wrong reasons, that some in leadership have the wrong motives, that their hearts aren't right, and that they cannot be trusted. Instead, what you want from any leader is for them to lead from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. I mean, this is the deep personal integrity because trust begins in the heart. Trust begins in the heart. It begins in deep personal integrity. And so in light of, of these instructions that, that the early church leader gives, the early church leader Paul gives to other church leaders, what, what does that mean for you? Because let me tell you, it's about people who are in leadership in the church, but it's not just about people who are in leadership for the church. If you're thinking, you know, Will, that's great, you're preaching a sermon about yourself and how you need to have a deep personal integrity, let me also say that this, that this is about you as well. Because this means that if you want to be a part of, of the solution, if you want to be a part of the solution of rebuilding trust in our society, if you want to cultivate trust in your life and in your relationships, you must hold a deep personal integrity. And to, to have a deep personal integrity, it means to do things from a pure heart and a good conscience. It means to love what is good and be reasonable, ethical, godly, and self-controlled. When Paul was writing to Thomas and, and to Timothy, he, or to Titus and Timothy, he knew that people will never give their whole hearts to a leader that they don't trust or they don't like. And you are a leader in your life. Now, you may look at yourself and you think, you know, I'm not really a leader in my life. I don't, I'm not a pastor. I'm not leading an organization. I'm not, I'm not the president or CEO of a company. But, but even though you may not think of yourself as a leader, there are people that you have influence over in your life. You are a leader. There are, there are areas in your life that you provide leadership to other people. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in, with your friends. You are a leader because you have influence over other people. And, and leadership is really all about influence. It's not about position or formal authority. Leadership is all about influence. And so if you have any influence with other people... You are a leader. And so how you, you work and develop deep personal integrity is important. You know, it would be easy for me to say, you know, if you, if you like, how, how do you do this? How do you develop deep personal integrity? It would be easy for me just to say, you know, well, you got to be blameless. So you can join the blameless club, you know. You can go and tell your friends and family, hey, I'm blameless. Um, uh, uh, but, but that may not be helpful. And because that may not be specific enough. But really cultivating deep personal integrity, you know, this is a lifelong journey, but there are some things that you can focus on. There are some things that are important that you can focus on. For example, don't lie. I mean, that may seem obvious, but don't lie. I mean, just tell people the truth. Don't try to say things are better than they really are or to say things are worse than they really are. Whatever is going on in your mind and your heart, make the outside be as close as possible to the inside. I heard another pastor say it this way, and this is kind of a churchy way of saying it, but narrow the gap between your private walk 
and your public talk. Narrow the gap between your private walk and your public talk. That is to say, narrow the gap between what's going on in your mind and your heart, what's going on on the inside, to what is going on in the way you live your life. The other, things, uh, the other thing that, 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 that it means to have deep personal integrity, it also means having bulletproof reliability. So it means being a person who is, who is insanely reliable. Do what you said you're going to do when you said you're going to do it. This is part of that ethical thing I read to you in Paul's letter to Titus. So if you say you're going to meet someone at 10 o'clock, make sure you meet them at 10 o'clock. And then if you're late, don't make up excuses about it. Just kind of own it. When you are late for things, especially if this is a pattern, it shows other people that you don't respect them, that you can't be a person who can be trusted. And then the same thing is true, that if you tell someone you're going to do something by a certain time, well, we'll do it. And we all know that, that there are some times that things come up that are unavoidable, that, that mean that you'll be, you'll be late or mean that things won't get done on time. Some things are unavoidable, but what you have to do is, is, is you have to own the delay. You have to own the delay. You have to own the mistake. Uh, you don't make an excuse because any kind of excuse is probably going to be a lie. You're just trying to make yourself feel better by, by not being able to live into your obligation or your commitment. And so instead of that, just own the delay. They'll own the mistake. And that is something that you can do to, to help make yourself more, more, uh, more trustworthy to the people around you. Having deep personal integrity it also means you know, spending a lot of time in prayer. Spending a lot of time in prayer, working on yourself, maybe even working with a therapist. But these are some of those outward things that you can do in your life to work on your integrity, to work on your heart, because trust begins in your heart. Now we've already seen what happens when trust breaks down in the church because of leaders who lack integrity. But what if the church was so focused on, on cultivating a, a sense of deep personal integrity that the church got the reputation of being the most trusted place around. Unfortunately, you know, this isn't the case right now. It used to be assumed that the church and church leaders were trustworthy, but, but the problem is that there are, are too many people who ended up in leadership who, who did not have a sense of deep personal integrity. Integrity. They weren't reading the same things that I've shared with you from the Bible. And on top of this, there weren't safeguards in place and people have gotten hurt. But what if the church was actually the most trustworthy place and, and these levels of trust got built, got built again? And this time they got built on, on a sure foundation where, where you don't just implicitly trust people, but instead you employ the, the trust but uh, verify principle that Ronald Reagan learned from the, the Russians, right? You know, trust but, but verify that trust, which is, you know, why that we're putting safeguards into place like, like safe gathering, like having people be safe gathering certified, of people going through background checks and reference checks and abuse training, not because we don't trust people, but because we want to ensure and be able to say that we are above reproach, that we verify the trusts to where in your church you develop this deep personal integrity and live trust in a powerful way. 
You know, imagine what would happen if all the Jesus followers lived this way, if all the people that followed after, after Jesus lived this way on, on a society level, if the people of God valued things like, like integrity and lived it. I mean, this would have implications throughout all of our society and culture. Think about the relationships with your spouses, your children, your friends, and your coworkers. I mean, if Jesus followers focused on this deep personal integrity, as Paul was encouraging Titus and, and Timothy, imagine the impact that could be had in all areas of life. I mean, we could really work to, to rebuild the bonds of trust that have been so broken in our lives, of our culture. So if you really imagine the impact here, you can see that trust has power. Trust has power. And if you're able to unlock the power of trust in your life, your relationships will improve. And, and it begins in the heart. It all begins in, in the heart with cultivating deep personal integrity as the first key. It's the first key to unlocking the power of trust. So focus on that. Focus on your heart. Next week, we'll look at another one of these. But for today, I, I just want you to think about your heart. The focusing on trust beginning in your heart. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for your heart, that, that you will focus on the trust building in your heart. This deep personal integrity. Let us pray. Almighty God, I, I thank you for the ways of trust. I pray this day that, that you will help your people, you will help your people focus on trust in their lives. You will help each one of us to, to develop a sense of personal integrity and, and to live out these principles so that, so that we can unlock the power of trust in our lives and in our society. Heal the brokenness. Heal the fissures of broken trust in, in our churches, in our relationships, and in our homes, and in our nation. And may you speak words of life to each one. To Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, as the people of God, we're invited to, to, to ways that God says, you know, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you with love and I trust you with grace. And one of the ways that God trusts us is by sharing a meal of communion together. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come forward to receive the presence of God's trust in your life. The presence of Jesus in the bread and in the cup. I want you to know that if you seek to follow after the way of Jesus, you are invited at this table because it's a table that God has opened to all who, who want to seek after Him. You know, before Jesus met His end and met with death, He met with His followers in a room together and He trusted them with His message. And He said, not only do I trust you, He took bread, blessed it, gave thanks to God, and said, every time you share this, do so in remembrance of me, I am present. And then after the meal was over, he took the cup and, 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 and asked God to bless it and saying, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. And so the church continues to drink of the cup to experience the presence of Jesus sustaining the heart. I invite you to pray with me. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the cup. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by His blood. 
By your Spirit, make us one with you and one with your church and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again. Thank you, most loving God. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. You may eat. You may drink. God so loved the world and God loves you more than you can imagine. Go with this love of God. May it well in your heart a deep sense of integrity and devotion. Go with the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.